0: Someday I'm going to have my wife get me one of those, what do they call them, them iPads or something. And wouldn't, wouldn't that be cool to see an old man like that with an iPad? and just. Who knows what could have happened in my ministry if I could have had one of those early on. <laughs> Boy, it's kind of frightening to think about it. Well, I'm so privileged to be able to participate in pastor Gordon's sermon series on Philippians. He's introduced the book to us and moved us into the early part of the Thanksgiving. And it's going to be my privilege now to continue the Thanksgiving that is offered in verses 6 through 11 and to see the prayer that he closes with. And this is an exciting time. I never was good with sermon titles but uh, you'll see on the front of the bulletin it says grace, partnership, and the fruit of righteousness. That is the key to what Paul is talking about. And the good news is, is that there's plenty of material with those three terms to keep us here a long time. We can, we can just be here a long time together. But let me read this passage to you from the New International Version If you have a different version, it will be very close. But hear the word of the Lord this morning. Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3 and reading through verse 11. I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affections of Christ. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. I don't want to excite you too much, but I want you to be aware of something that we don't talk about often enough. Jesus is coming again. Do you really believe that? Sometimes I fight with the lyrics of contemporary music in the church. But I sure don't struggle with the revelation song that we sang during communion. Jesus, your name is power, breath, and living water. What a marvelous mystery! That's who's coming again. The one who has come. To reconcile us to God. Now you realize, Jesus didn't come just to be our best friend, don't you? You've got a lot of best friends. He's not just our best friend, folks. He's our Redeemer. He's our Lord. And he is calling us to himself that we might know the freedom we find in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is coming again. And you see, we are all called to live in this present day. In the light of that glorious future that's called eternity. When we live forever with Him. What a marvelous thought that really is. We're called to live in the present in the light of that glorious future. Now, Pastor Gordon has introduced Philippians to us, but I want you to be aware that that Paul is writing a letter to the church at Philippi To the members who are there. And that the ancient letter form was used, as letters are today, because your personal presence can't be there with the one to whom you are writing. Now remember something they were receiving a letter from their favorite apostle who was in prison. Paul's in prison. And he's writing to the Philippians about Jesus. And about harmony and unity and rejoicing and those great ideas of humility and suffering that are found throughout the letter. You see... Paul uses this ancient letter and its form to really speak as a Christian to these Greco-Romans who were so immersed in their culture in that first Christian century. So an ancient letter began with the name of the writer and anyone who might be with him and perhaps some kind of qualification and to the group to whom it was written. You'll find that in verses 1 through 2. And then there is this marvelous thanksgiving that we find. Paul says, verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. That's the New American Standard Bible. He says it a little more simply in the NIV, he says merely, I thank my God every time I remember you. Yep, You're in my memory. So this Thanksgiving was a conventional part of an early letter, Christian or non-Christian alike. And it would frequently follow with a prayer. Just like we have a letter convention, those of you who've written a letter or two in your life. We don't do that much anymore. But you know, we we started out dear so and so. Why do we do that? Because that's how you write letters. How are you? I am fine. You know, all of the stuff. The interesting thing is that in this Thanksgiving, you find hints to what the letter is going to be about what the letter wants to say to the church that's well and good but I would like to make a plea that really Philippians is about chapter 2 verses 6 through 11 what is called that great Christ hymn And if you haven't read that recently Take some time today to read it. It's powerful. And everything in the letter has some type of relationship to chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. As Jesus is this one who did not think equality with God, something to be grasped, something, something to be held on to, but he gave of himself, he emptied himself, took the form of humanity became obedient to death, even death on a cross, after he had taken on humanity and even been like a slave. And it is this one God exalted and gave to him a name that is above every name, so that it's the name of Jesus every time tongue would confess that He is Lord. Every knee would bow and worship to Him. And we just think He's our best friend. We're living below our privileges, folks. So, what I want us to look at this morning with these great words in our mind, grace, partnership, and the fruit of righteousness. What I want us to look at, really, is God's work, our work, and the fruit of righteousness. Now, God's work, we could just spend a whole lot of time here, and it is crucial, but Paul doesn't say everything he could say. He says it quickly. He says in verse 6, being confident, of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, that's why I began with that great affirmation, Jesus is coming again. Paul saying, God's work is not going to be complete in us until that day. Now, sometimes we can become so overwhelmed with the stuff of life. When I was in seminary, I had to take a sociology of religion class from an old military sergeant by the name of Oliver Reed Whitney. That old sergeant, of course, got his Ph.D. at Yale, one of the fine institutions dealing with sociology of religion. He was just no sergeant alone. He was a bright man. (laughs) But I can remember Oliver Reed Whitley Whitley, sitting there on a table in that big auditorium, kind of kicking his feet back and forth, smoking his pipe, saying, I want you to know that in sociology, we think the word stuff is a pretty important word. So when you hear me talk about stuff, it's not just because I'm ignorant and can't think of something else to say, you would say. This stuff of redemption, this stuff of what God is doing in this good work has transformed our lives and given to us a wholeness that nothing else could do. He began a good work in you And He will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the stuff of the Gospel right there. And you don't have to wonder whether God is with you or not when you get encumbered with the cares of life. All you have to do is realize God is at work even in you right now. Amen. It's a good place to say it right there. Amen. You see, we'd like to think that somehow on our own, we're just kind of getting better and better. (laughs) You realize that uh, there was a German philosopher by the name of Leibniz And as I've heard it, they've said that perhaps Leibniz was the last human being to have kind of encyclopedic knowledge of all the wisdom of the world. So you think of when he lived in the late Middle Ages and how much knowledge has reproduced itself and grown and multiplied in those 500 plus years. There's no way that there's anybody who could have encyclopedic knowledge of all that there is within this world. And we get encumbered with all of the stuff that weighs heavily upon us. And we forget that God is still at work. And you see, we dare not think that When Paul talks about this one who began a good work in us, as though that term good work has to do with what we're doing. We're doing something good. No, 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 no. That's his phrase right here to say that he who began a good work, that is salvation, is going to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We're not having to do this on our own, folks. We're not having to do this by ourselves. God is with us, and He's come to us to make a difference. So it's not just the fact that we're getting better and better, because as we look at the world around about us, we see the sin and the problems that are here, and we realize that something needs to be done. And God wants to do it in you, in me, in those around about us. As we open our hearts to His grace and allow that sense of His power to be at work in us. You see, verse 8 even says then to encourage us. Paul writes these kind of rather strange words, that God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Not only has God provided salvation and he continues to be at work in our lives to make this real in the midst of our encounters with life. God knows us personally enough that he can testify about what we do and how we live. Paul says, God knows my concern for you. There's no lie. Now, wish we could just spend a good long time right here talking about this relational understanding of the gospel. You see, the gospel is not just something cold and impersonal. Oh yeah, I get it, that's enough. No, 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 no. It's geared to our lives so that as we enter into life together, we're able to get along and to find meaning together. As we grow together, as we pray together, as we laugh together, as we enjoy life together. This salvation that brings righteousness from God to our lives on the basis of faith does not arise out of our own efforts. It is God's gift to us. And that's this whole idea of grace that is here. Paul says whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel. All of you share in God's grace with me. Now, I've been reading after a wonderful New Testament scholar by the name of John Barclay. And Barclay wasn't satisfied with the kind of the old kind of common understanding of grace as God's unmerited favor. Barclay refers to grace as God's incongruous gift to the undeserving. Now, I had to make sure I looked up incongruous, right? (laughs) Here's a lovely term that says, wait a minute, these things don't fit together. And what he's saying is that because of our lives, And who we are with our needs before God in our alienation from Him because of sin. God has come to us in spite of that through the work of Jesus Christ in His death and resurrection and given to us new life. Barclay's idea that this is incongruous is right and we don't deserve it. He's right. And grace makes all of that difference in the world. So, when we look at God's work, not only is it a good work of salvation that frees us from that sinful past, not only is God still at work bringing us to completion in Jesus Christ when he comes again. He is bringing to us righteousness and hope. And Paul says he has confidence to know this will happen because he has confidence in the character of God. He was familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. He had read the Old Testament over and over and over and studied it thoroughly. And he saw a God who was faithful. So God's work is there. And we can count on it to do its work in our lives. But now, there's our work. And our work is to enter in to the ministry, into this apostolic ministry in which we even become partners with the great apostle now if you should say well Bob Smith God has given to me a great new apostolic ministry I want to tell you something I'm going to scratch my head a minute and say you've been eating some mushrooms what what have you been eating See, I don't think the apostolic ministry remains today as it was in Paul's day and those who were called as his apostles in the early church. Nevertheless, we know what that apostolic ministry looks like. And we know how these people in Philippi had the privilege of sharing in that ministry with Paul. Now, Don't turn me off in what I'm going to say next, okay? Because you're going to say, oh no, here it goes again. Every time I come to church, I hear about it. You see, a part of Paul's joy and love for these Philippian people is that they had supported him monetarily as he was doing his work throughout the Mediterranean Basin. One of the ways that they shared partnership in his ministry was by providing for his needs. Somebody had to do that. Well, I thought that he was, you know, a guy who worked with leather and was a tent maker. Yeah, well, he was. But he had needs that were greater than that. And they were supporting his needs. In fact, you go to the fourth chapter and he thanks them for their gifts to him. But that's not all that he's doing. Listen to this interesting phrase. Whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, you all share in God's grace with me. Now, is is that kind of an amazing life? Whether he's in prison, doing whatever he would do in prison, whether he's defending and confirming the gospel, there are the Philippians with him, praying for him, helping him, and I think even confirming and Defending the gospel as they understood it. Right there in Philippi. Allowing that grace of God to be at work. Right in their hometown. Now, what would my life look like? What would your life look like? If we were able to defend and confirm the gospel right here in San Diego. Or maybe up even in the high desert, Steve, Brenda. Up there where you folks live. Or wherever you might be from. What if we were sharing in that apostolic good news? Oh, God hasn't called me to that. And I say to you, don't be so certain. There's something for us to do. And we form a partnership with Pastor Gordon and Mission Church and all that's involved to do the work of ministry wherever we might be. You see, I think that's the uniqueness of a local church. Okay, get ready. Something else coming here. You see, the church is more than our fine pastor and his relational skills and his ability to preach God's Word to us and to make known that love that he has for us as our pastor. It's more, my friends, than a worship chain. It's more than just the things we do with a youth program or a missions program or a children's program. It's a place where we find involvement in the work of God. Are you available for that work? Are you available for God to use you to touch people around you? Now, yeah, I think that's being willing to invite them to services. I think that's being willing to share with them the gospel message. But it's also being willing to be the presence to Jesus with them in their deepest time of need. Perhaps being the only touch with Christ that they've ever known. Finding that ministry. That's why local churches are so important. They give us a place not to come and be entertained, God forbid, but to come and find a place of ministry. To allow God to use your gifts and graces to make a difference in the lives of people that perhaps only you can touch. So, this ministry is grounded in relationships because of Paul holding them in his heart and they continuing to be at work in confirming and defending the gospel and allowing that partnership to be fulfilled. Mention the name John Barclay. Let, let me mention one more person man I've been reading after by the name of John Webster. Dr. Webster taught theology in England for a number of years, and he died early. And all we have are some wonderful books that he left, but he was a great man. And John Webster talked about the fact that the gospel comes to us as a shock. He kind of knocks us off our feet. Those are my words. Because it tells me of a need that I have that I cannot meet by myself. And for many, that's shocking. That's not good news. That's bad news to many people. What? I can't do it? gospel says, no, you can't. And Webster says the gospel comes not only as a shock, but as an interruption to all that we're doing with our lives. Because it makes us look differently at our past. And it makes us reconsider new things about our future as God does His work within us to bring about transformation because you see it is God it is God who comes as the one who absolutely dislocates everything we are and everything we have been but it is God who comes absolutely as the one who reorders it all isn't that amazing God not only dislocates, He reorders. And we have the privilege of living in that new reordered life that only He can give. And it allows us then to do our work in partnership with the great apostle to make a difference Within the world. God's work, salvation. Our work, ministry. And then that marvelous phrase that we find in verse 11 recognizing that we are filled with the fruit of righteousness. What a great phrase! You see, A part of this fruit of righteousness is this sense of joy and rejoicing, this humility, this suffering, this harmony and unity, all those terms that function as themes of the book of Philippians. If you've studied the book of Philippians in a woman's Bible study or whatever, wherever you've been, you know that Joy and rejoicing is a major theme that is there. And sometimes, because of those terms, we overlook the fact that there were some problems in the Philippian congregation. Now, you read in chapter 4, Paul's going to mention two ladies whose names are given for all eternity in holy scripture because they can't get along with each other. Wouldn't that be wonderful to have your name emboldened in holy scripture because you was fighting with your neighbor? Euodia <laughs> and Syntyche. I heard one preacher friend refer to them as odious and soon touchy. And they just couldn't get along. And Paul has to try to set them straight a little bit. Because you see, we can't do that work in the midst of conflict. God has come to interrupt our conflict. That He might give to us new life and make us whole. And to help us to see the good news. That is there not only to dislocate us, but to reestablish who we are. <laughs> I look at this passage, and there is so much love, knowledge, depth of insight, discernment, peace, blamelessness, filled with the fruit of righteousness. All of those terms demand some understanding and we don't have time to do it. But I do want to talk about his idea of discernment. Paul says, May your love abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And all of that opens up then to being filled with the fruit of righteousness. But I am convinced that this idea of discernment is probably the real key to our understanding of the Christian life. For you see, when we have become familiar with scripture enough because we've read it and reread it and reread it again that that discernment is there we begin to know the difference between right and wrong we begin to know the difference between sin and righteousness we begin to know what pleases God and what we need to do to be his people in an age that could care less A number of years ago, I was reading the Bible at bedtime to a grandson of mine. And I was going to read him the story of the prodigal son. And I started into it and he said, Pop, read me something else. I've heard that one before. Three years old. I said, I hope you hear it a hundred more times. Do you get tired of reading Scripture because you've read it before? Maybe God is trying to create discernment in your life. It's a key to all that we do. Now this idea of being filled with the fruit of righteousness is to live life in such a way that it is characterized by the fruit of the Spirit that we find in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. You know those nine fruit that are mentioned there. Paul is saying, This is that righteousness that God has for us. That our lives might reflect all the gospel that is there. That work of God in salvation that is transforming us. That is shocking us. That is helping to bring about that dislocation that we might be reestablished as His people in the midst of this world in which we live. And we don't have to be like Euodia and Sunteki. We don't have to be fighting with one another. We can find that love that brings us together as God's people. I used to tell my students before I you know, went through that process of retirement. I was getting to that age when I could almost remember what it was like to be in love. Get to a certain age, you know. You're really old. But being in love. I'm not that old. (laughs) I know a little bit about that the joy, the anticipation, the wonder, all that's involved. And this love that is here to bring about this new life in Christ that makes us whole. If we'll read this carefully, we'll realize that there is a a three-way bond that Paul is talking about in this introduction. Himself, the Philippians, and Christ. And together, they are giving identity and shape their lives and ministry and help them overcome any difficulties they might be facing along the way. Now, where I should have spent all of my time, and I haven't, but it's a final word. It's all done, Paul says at the end of verse 11. All of this happens to the glory and the praise of God. Why do you bother going to church? Why do you bother paying your tithes? Why do you bother doing works of ministry? Why do you bother doing all of that stuff that seemingly you've done for years and you're going to be doing it for years more? One reason. (laughs) Can't you see the old cowboy? One thing. To the glory and the praise of God. There's no other reason. We're doing it for Him. May God add His blessing to this marvelous text. Come worship Him, please.